Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. How do we remember who we are? You may think that that's an easy thing to do, but sometimes it's actually easy to forget who you are. I, for instance, do not like video games. I'm terrible at video games. And yet, my sons love video games. So there have been times, particularly as they were growing up, where I tried to connect with them by playing video games with them. For instance, I didn't mind too badly the Lego games when they were growing up, particularly Lego Star Wars. In Lego Star Wars, you could be a Lego character, a character from Star Wars, like Luke Skywalker or Chewbacca. And you could, as Luke Skywalker or Chewbacca, go on adventures and solve puzzles, but everything in that world was made out of Legos. Now, when you got to the free play, two player mode, you could choose your character. Sometimes you could choose the same character. For instance, there were times when myself and my son would go into this Lego game, both of us as Luke Skywalker. We'd go on missions, we'd have adventures. And there would be times when I would see Luke Skywalker in the center of the screen doing important things and solving difficult puzzles. And I would think, there is my Luke Skywalker in the center of the screen, solving puzzles and doing important things, only to discover that my youngest son's Luke Skywalker was in the center of the screen. My Luke Skywalker was in a corner, walking into a wall. (laughs) Because I had lost track of who I was, and that was the time at which my son would always intone quietly, we don't know who we are. (laughs) It can be humiliating to forget who you are. Abraham, in the Old Testament, had every reason to forget who he was and whose he was. Abraham had responded to God's call to go to the land of Canaan, to the promised land, and he did. And God told him, when you get there, I will give you many descendants. And then he told him, I will give your descendants the land. But then a decade passed, and Abraham and his wife Sarah still had no descendants, no children, no heirs. As time passed, it was very easy for Abraham to potentially forget who he was, but then God appeared to Abraham in a vision. God appeared to Abraham and said to him in Genesis chapter 15, I am your shield and protector, to which Abraham responded, okay, but I have a few questions. For instance, where are the descendants? And God said, okay, okay, I am going to give you descendants. In fact, this vision was at night, and God invited Abraham to go outside and look up at the sky, and he said, if you can count the stars, then you will be able to number your descendants, because your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. And yet still, Abraham sought reassurance. How is this all to be? 
And so God gave Abraham a task. He said, there are a bunch of animals. Take these animals today, during the day, cut them in half, and set them across from one another. God was giving Abraham instructions to prepare for a covenant-making ceremony. And in these covenant-making ceremonies, the people making a covenant would do just that. They would split animals in half and put their carcasses against one another. And the two making the covenant would walk between the piles of animal flesh, and they would make promises to one another. And the fact that they were walking between the piles of flesh would say, may it be done to me and more if I violate the terms of this covenant. So Abraham did as he was told. And he stood watch over these piles of flesh by day, shooing away the birds that sought to eat it. And then night came again. And the Bible says that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And in this sleep, God appeared in a vision to him. And God came in the form of a a bowl that seemed to be filled with flame and a torch above the bowl. And God walked between the two piles of flesh and said, I will give you this land. I will give you descendants. God made a promise. God made a covenant. And God asked nothing from Abraham in return. Abraham could have, from that point forward, remembered who he was and whose he was forever. How do we remember who we are? You see, the simple fact of the matter is that as life goes on, we tend to forget who we are and whose we are. We come up against problems, we come up against difficulties, we come up against hardships in life, and we forget. We forget who we are. We forget who God is. We forget whose we are. And when we forget, we tend to make the biggest mistakes of our lives. As life gets long, we forget. Forgetting is easy. Forgetting is natural. So how do we remember who we are and whose we are? What continued to happen in Abraham's life will show us how we remember. Because as we dig back into the life of Abraham today, the first thing that we're going to discover is that God saves us and we cannot save ourselves. You see, Genesis 15 was not the last time that God appeared to the patriarch Abraham. In fact, in Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abraham again and speaks to him. In Genesis 17 verses 1 through 8, we read, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you 
and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God announces himself at the beginning of this as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. The the Hebrew term here is El Shaddai. It's composed of two words, the word El, which means simply God, and Shaddai, which means mighty, from above, exalted, elevated. Our Bibles translate it as almighty. El Shaddai, God Almighty, means God who is capable, God who is mighty, God who does that which cannot otherwise be done, God who keeps his promises, God who is able to keep his promises, God who saves us, and we cannot save ourselves. God says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. That is how God revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And it's important that God appears as El Shaddai, God who is able, the one who keeps his promises, the one who saves us because we cannot save ourselves because Abraham and Sarah had reached a point where they could not save themselves. What what was being proposed was humanly impossible. Now, when Abraham and Sarah came to the land of Canaan in the first place, Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. And you say, well, that's probably well past the point at which people have children. And so the promise of descendants may have looked humanly impossible to us. But as we look at the span of their lives, they lived a very long time. Abraham and Sarah were still just on the front end of the midlife point. And so having children for them might have seemed unlikely, but it was not impossible. Ten years later, Sarah gave Abraham Hagar her maid, and and Hagar and and Abraham had a child, Ishmael. Abraham was 85 years old then, but 13 more years have passed. Abraham is 99, and Sarah is 90 at this point in time. And this is the back end of midlife for them. And at this point, it is clearly impossible from a human point of view. Abraham and Sarah cannot produce descendants from a human point of view. They cannot save themselves. And yet El Shaddai steps in and says, I will give you descendants in multitudes. God says, I am going to give you biological descendants. I am going to give you not only a descendant, but I am indeed going to make you the father of a great nation, a father of the multitudes of nations. Beyond that, I am going to cause you still to be a blessing to all the nations of earth. God is promising things that humanly speaking are not possible, but God says, I will call you to be the father of a multitude. El Shaddai is the only one who can do that. God Almighty is the only one who can do that. And El Shaddai steps in, and again, he makes an eternal, everlasting, one-sided covenant with Abraham. 
He says, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. But in addition to that, he says, to your descendants, I am making an eternal covenant. I will be their God. I will give them the land and I will be their God. The God of your descendants, I will be with them eternally. El Shaddai. God Almighty, God who is powerful, God who is the promise maker and able to keep those promises, God who saves is the one who made these promises because God saves us and we cannot save ourselves. As we go on, we discover that in addition to saving us, God marks us as his own. As we continue in Genesis chapter 17, we come to verse 9 through verse 14, where God gives instructions to Abraham about what he is to do for himself and the male descendants in his household. We read, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, what God asked of Abraham here to affirm this covenant, remember who he was eternally in front of God, was a difficult thing to ask. Since God appeared the last time to Abraham, 13 more years have passed. No descendant. And we know that this was difficult for Abraham because despite the fact that he is in God's presence and he is overwhelmed by God's presence, Abraham can see a bitter irony in what God is saying to him here. As we continue reading in Genesis chapter 17, and we come to verse 17, we read, then Abraham fell on his face. So he's in the presence of God, and he's overwhelmed by it. And laughed. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, some say that this is evidence that he is celebrating here, but I don't think he's celebrating. I think he sees an irony here. I have waited for 25 years, and now, when I'm 100, I'm going to have a child? And the very next thing that he says demonstrates the fact that there is an irony involved. In verse 18, he goes on to ask, God, would you instead just bless Ishmael? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, it's enough. I have Ishmael. Bless Ishmael. You see, 
this is not 75-year-old on the front end of midlife Abraham standing in front of God anymore. This is not 85-year-old Abraham who was still clinging to hope. This is 99, about to be 100-year-old Abraham standing in the front and the face of God. And he sees the irony in what God is saying to him, and it is painful for him. But God says, no, it's going to happen just as I've said to you. I hear you laughing. That'll come back. I hear you laughing. But Sarah's going to have a child. A year from now, Sarah is going to have a child. And that's the child of promise. And difficult though it was, Abraham obeyed what God said. That's what faith looks like, obeying even when it's difficult. And God who told him to respond by circumcising himself and every member, male member of his household, Abraham gathered everyone together, all the males in his household. He did so that very day. And that day, Abraham and Ishmael and every male in his household, they were all circumcised. And circumcision is a sign. It is a, a sign of the covenant. Everyone who is descended from Abraham and from his son Isaac is circumcised. And circumcision is a way of saying, I will obey you, God. And circumcision is done to the males of that line, but it covers men and women of that line in a covenant. And circumcision is not an outwardly easily visible sign of the relationship between a person and God. Instead, it is a private sign that marks one as a follower of God, as a a person who belongs to the covenant. And it is a way of saying, God, I hear you, and I will be holy. I will be yours. I will be set apart and I recognize your authority in the most intimate and small details of my life. I am yours. And Abraham obeyed, despite the irony, that very day. But please understand that it's Abraham's faith that saved him. Circumcision is not the key piece of obedience that saved Abraham, and it wasn't even the act of moving to Canaan that saved Abraham, and it wasn't keeping the law that saved Abraham because the law had not even been given at this point in history. Faith, believing faith that turns into a posture of obedience with God is what saved Abraham. In fact, we read in Genesis 15, 6, this very thing, and he, that is Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. It's faith that saved Abraham. And it's faith, not works, that marks and claims us as descendants of Abraham and has saved ourselves. In the New Testament, the New Testament wrestles with the whole concept of what is it that marks a disciple of Jesus? Is it obedience to the law? And Paul says in the New Testament, well, you could obey the law perfectly. And if you were to keep every detail of the law perfectly, it would save you but no one ever has, no one except Jesus. Jesus obeyed the law 
perfectly. So if it is not the law that saves us, if it is not our works that save us, what is it that saves us? And we discover that it is having the believing faith that turns into obedience that Abraham had. The faith of Abraham that saved him, it was a faith in God, a faith looking forward to Jesus, is the same faith that saves us. Our believing faith that turns into obedience to God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, we read, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's believing faith in God that turns into obedience that saves us through Jesus Christ because faith, not works, saves us. Faith is what marks us as God's own. But in addition to marking us as his own, God changes us as we walk with him. God changed Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, we read that finally God changed this man's name from Abram that we've not known him by, to Abraham, the name we recognize him by. And that means that he's changed his name from Abram, which meant exalted father or, or great dad, to Abraham, the exalted father of many nations. And in the process, God changed Sarah's name as well, from Sarai to Sarah. The name still meant princess, but the name Sarah had echoes of the name of God himself in it instead of reminders of Sarai's pagan past. God changed the name of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah because God changes us as we walk with him. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. God changed Abraham's behavior as well. You see, God did expect a certain kind of behavior from Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, if you were looking carefully, God talked about it. He said, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, God had not given Abraham the law yet. That would be hundreds of years before the law would come. So he doesn't know the details of what it means to be blameless, but there's a picture created by that word. Because the word that is translated here, blameless, when describing a sacrifice offered to God is translated as unblemished. A sacrifice offered to God should be unblemished, that is, having no defect, being perfect, being set apart. And that's what is being said to Abraham here. The same word is used. You are unblemished, blameless. Walk before me in a holy and a righteous kind of way because God changes us as we walk with him. He changed the behavior of Abraham and said, you are now to be blameless in front of me. As we walk with God, God changes us as well. God changes us from being nobodies to being a part of the family of Abraham ourselves. We get grafted into, when we become disciples of Jesus, Abraham's family Paul paints a beautiful portrait of this in the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter 11. He says, when you become a disciple of Jesus, it's like you're being grafted into Abraham's family tree. He describes Abraham's family tree as being like a beautiful cultivated olive tree. 
And he said, you come from a wild weed of an olive tree, a chaotic, wild olive tree, but God has taken you who were born on a wild weed of an olive tree, and he takes you as a branch, and he grafts you in to the cultivated olive tree of the family tree of the patriarch Abraham. You become a descendant, spiritually speaking, not physically speaking, spiritually speaking, of the patriarch Abraham. Let's go back to the book of Galatians again, to chapter 3, verse 7, where we read, know then that it is those of faith who are, look at this, the sons of Abraham. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you become a son, a spiritual child of Abraham. You are grafted into Abraham's spiritual family tree. And Paul goes on in the book of Galatians to describe the fact that this is how God kept that promise to Abraham, that he would bless many nations and become the father of a multitude. In verses 8 and 9, we read, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, this is back to Genesis chapter 12, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are grafted into Abraham's family tree. We are descendants, spiritually speaking, of Abraham, and that's how God has kept his promise to Abraham, that he would have not only biological descendants, but he would bless all of the nations. You and I are spiritual descendants of Abraham. Can you believe it? But in addition to that, we are made not just sons and daughters of Abraham, spiritually speaking, but we are made sons and daughters of God. Now, this is one of the most amazing aspects of the gospel because the gospel tells us that Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. And when we accept forgiveness, we are cleansed of that sin. But in addition to being cleansed of that sin, the Bible tells us that God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And we then receive new life. There's a new life we live now. We get eternal life. It's just beginning now. But in addition to receiving God's Holy Spirit, new life, and eternal life, we are adopted into God's family. We were born apart from God's family. We were born in rebellion against God. But the Bible says when we accept Jesus, we are adopted now as sons and daughters of God. Back in the book of Galatians, Paul describes this. He writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts that we might cry, Abba, Father. We might claim God as our Father. You were born apart from God in rebellion against God. And when you became a follower of Jesus, you were adopted into God's own family as a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham spiritually, as a son, a daughter of God himself by adoption. And that's who we are. That's our identity. If we are disciples of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are claimed by God, and we have the faith of Abraham. We are claimed as spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. We are claimed by God as sons and daughters of his. That's who we are. 
And that changes the way we think and the way we live. So as you walk with God, how do you remember who you are? I want to make a couple of suggestions to you today on that. The first is claim God who has claimed you. God has claimed you. El Shaddai, God Almighty, God who's able, God who keeps his promises, God who is able to keep his promises, God who saves, and we cannot save ourselves. El Shaddai has claimed you. He has offered you forgiveness, new life, and eternal life in Jesus Christ. God is reaching out to you to claim you. The question is, will you reach back and claim him? Will you say yes to the offer that's made to you? Because please understand, what God is wanting from you is a personal relationship with you. It's not enough to be born into the right family. Being born in the right family does not mean that you are saved. It doesn't mean that you're a disciple of Jesus. Being born to the right family doesn't help in this. Living what you think is the good life doesn't help in this. You, you don't get to live a good enough life to be saved. You don't get to live a good enough life, you can't, to be called a son or daughter of God. And the fact that you go to church doesn't mean that you are a son or daughter of God. God is offering all of that to you. God is reaching out to claim you. And God is asking you, do you want to have a personal relationship with me? I want to have a personal relationship with you. And the question is, will we claim him who has claimed us? Will we say yes to God who is reaching out to us? That's the first part of remembering who we are, saying yes back to God. But then as we say yes to God, we want to demonstrate that decision through baptism. We want to demonstrate that decision through baptism. Because baptism is a way to publicly profess to the world that God who has claimed us, we've said yes to him. And in baptism, we say some important critical things. Baptism happens best by immersion. That's what we do. We believe that baptism is by immersion. And so consequently, when someone is baptized, we lower them under water. And as we lower people under the water, it is a way of saying, I believe that Jesus died to pay the price for my sin. And like Jesus, I am leaving behind, I'm dying to, if you will, an old way of life. But then we bring people being baptized back up out of the water. And by bringing them back up out of the water, we're saying that we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And not only that, we believe that we are now living new life through Jesus Christ. So when we are baptized, we are publicly telling everyone that we believe Jesus died and rose again, and we have said yes to God. And so we are proclaiming that to the world. And at the same time, we are putting a stake in the sand that says, I have professed this this day. I, on that day, knew who I was and whose I was. 
And putting that stake in the sand gives us a point to go back to for the rest of our lives. When we wander, when we forget, when we are tempted to walk away, we say, on that day, I knew who I was. And then every time we see someone baptized, we are taken back to that moment and we remember what God has done for us. So demonstrate your decision through baptism. And then worship God regularly and publicly. Every time we gather together here, we are proclaiming who we are and who God is. We sing, we pray, we read scripture, we teach scripture, and we are constantly saying, this is who we are and this is who God is. We take communion together. And every time we take communion together, Jesus says, you are reminding yourself of my body given for you and my blood shed for you. Every time we take communion together, we are proclaiming Jesus who died and rose again for us. And so we worship every week publicly. Why? Because every week we are reminding ourselves who we are and who God is. And so Worshiping on a weekly basis, on a regular public basis, is a critical habit for a disciple of Jesus seeking to remember who we are. That means worship is not something we do when it's convenient. Worship is not something we do when we don't have anything else better to do. Worship is a weekly, regular part of our lives because we are submitting to God and coming into his presence and being bathed again and a reminder of who God is and who we are. So worship God regularly and publicly and take one next step after another with God. Abraham was almost a hundred years old in the passage that we read today. And he was taking one next step after another with God. And he was blazing a trail for us, showing us what our lives are meant to look like. We are meant to take one next step after another with God. And what is the alternative? The alternative is that we forget. When we stop taking next steps with God, we forget. We forget who we are and whose we are and why this all matters and what is at stake. But when we take one next step after another with God, well, God is shaping inside of us who we are in his sight. But not only that, every time we take a next step with God, it's only by his power that we can do it. And as we take each next step with God, we are reminded over and over again of who God is. He's God Almighty. He's El Shaddai. He's the powerful one. He's the one who keeps the promises he has made. He is the one who saves us, and we cannot save ourselves. He is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. So take one next step after another with God. And now we're remembering. Now we're remembering. We're remembering 
fact that we have made a choice about God. God who chose us, we have chosen him right back. We remember, we remember that we have proclaimed that fact publicly and we will never forget what we have proclaimed publicly. We are reminding ourselves on a regular basis who we are, whose we are, and who God is. We're taking one next step after another, and each one of those next steps is God chiseling away at the granite of our lives to reveal the image of God inside. And his way in his day, that's exactly what Abraham did. And that is how we remember who we are. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.